Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hi, it's Richard and Linda Ayer with Ayers on the Road. We're pleased to be with you today. If it sounds like Linda's got a different husband today, it's just because I've got a little bit of a cold. I kind of like it when I have a low voice. I could sing bass today. <laughs> and mine's pretty low, too. You could we sing. both got a funny little cough. I can't imagine how that happened. Don't say, don't say a cough of... or people will immediately want to put us in quarantine. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, what I was going to say is I don't know how that could possibly happen, having been around a lot of grandchildren that are coughing. Lots of, <laughs> we, we took how many grandchildren? We took, I think, eight of our grandchildren to a movie the other day, and um, <laughs> that was an experience in and of itself. It was. Maybe there were ten of them. It was a call of the wild, and one of them sneaked in a bunch of candy, and so they were thinking about the candy a lot of the time. And then uh, one of them, uh, there was a three-year-old who did really well the first half hour, and then she just started walking around saying hello to everyone. In and all of our delightful. family, and then She's she so went cute. and said hello to all the rest of the audience. So right. <laughs> I think some of them liked it, and some probably didn't. <laughs> We had anyway. the whole middle of the theater, though. We brought some of their parents, too. I think we had 20 seats. And there were a lot of germs in there. And the, I think it was the the little six-year-old who sat right by me and kept coughing on me. Maybe that was it. Well, no, I don't think you could get it that fast. But anyway, um, <laughs> I do have to say don't say germs because we are, I don't know when you're listening to this, but we are at the height of the coronavirus. Well, we think the height, maybe well, not. They'll, they'll listen to this right away. You know. Well, some people go back and maybe listen. Maybe not the height. Well, let's not talk about that. Anyway, it's kind of scary. We are kind of scared, but it is going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. What we want to do today is a little more on the spiritual side of things than usual. We're aware that our audience is pretty broad and it includes people of a lot of different faiths and it includes people of no faith at all and that's just fine. We, Because the subject matter every week on Ours on the Road relates back to family in one way or another. But I think, Linda, that we're totally okay in, in taking a spiritual tone on this show now and again at least, for the simple reason that almost every parent we've ever met feels like they need some kind of supernatural help in being a parent. It's the hardest job we have. It's like, you know, um, it's, it's like what Abraham Lincoln once said, although I don't think he was talking about parenting, but Lincoln said, there are times when I'm driven to my knees by the simple, overwhelming conviction that I have no place else to go. Now, maybe he was talking about the Civil War or whatever, but I know a lot of parents. In fact, I'll bet every parent has at times felt, I better, I'm driven to my knees by the simple fact I don't have anywhere else to go. Yeah, absolutely. I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what to do with these kids. Well, and of course, we all go through crisis times, you know, when a child is injured or seriously injured or we lose a child or something, you know, terrible happens, of course, the first thing we think of is to go to heaven for help and peace and solace. And and I, I just think that 
99, well, it says 92% of Americans believe in higher power, whatever it is. Yeah, that's right. The polls we've seen lately, 92% of Americans, the highest in the world, uh, believe in some kind of higher intelligence than their own. So that's pretty good. And um, I think, again, there are a lot of spiritual, I, I'm, I'm using the word spiritual rather than religious, that's the other thing polls show that's really fascinating is that actually it's uh, less than a majority of people who now classify themselves as religious. In other words, belonging to a particular denomination or whatever. But 80% of Americans will say, I, I think I'm a spiritual person. I feel that I'm a spiritual person. And that's really interesting. And don't you think that a lot of that feeling of the spirit or of spirituality or of something higher than self sometimes originates when a couple has a baby. There's something deeply spiritual about bringing a new life into the world. And how many, how many times have we had people say, you know, I looked into that infant's eyes and I knew that that wasn't just a genetic creation of, of our own bodies. Oh, you don't need to get me going on that. Man, that I have been in a lot of delivery rooms, nine of my own, and several of our children, some of our children, our daughters and daughters-in-law want me in the room and some don't. Um, but I, it is just magnificent heaven. I mean, even if there's a lot going on, which often there is, and a lot of pain and a lot of, uh, you know, just chaos. Yeah. The yeah. second that baby emerges, everything just, just stills, just stills, because you realize that you've seen a miracle that this little child has come from a different existence. Yeah. And, yeah. and probably not <clears throat> just in a dark tummy. I mean, there, there, there is no doubt that there is a little spirit in there and that's been delivered and it makes me kind of mad it makes me kind of upset that on our first three babies back this is so long ago they didn't let dads in the delivery room and i missed that spiritual moment but i sure made up for it on the other six well on the third one (laughs) they decided you could come in but that you found an old friend from your hometown in the hall, <laughs> you were chatting with him, well, and you, I'm like, "It's your fault." I'm going. I'm it's going. your fault. You went so fast. No, I know. I just, <laughs> I absolutely spew these babies out, and um, so they were trying to find you a gown, and you finally showed up with a choked yeah, gown, choking you to death. I missed, but. And uh, but the baby was still blue, luckily. So you saw, you know, at least the first minute. But it is a, a wonderful kind of a. A spiritual moment. I mean, we like to quote, um, not in entire nakedness and not in utter forgetfulness, but trailing clouds of glory do we come from God who is our home. And And then at the end, after everything, people leave this part out. And it's my favorite. Heaven lies about us in our infancy. And it is so true that heaven hangs around for a long time for these little newborns. So the bottom line is that in, in, in real terms, and you can all think of your own example of times when you've felt something very deep, and whether you classified it as religious or just spiritual or whatever, something there, something more powerful. And that leads in to this little story we want to tell you today, 
While we were in England, we were there, be, uh, what, what our church calls being mission presidents in southern England, and over the course of three years, we had nearly 600 young men and women who we were responsible for, never more than 240 at one time. But that was a lot, and it was a big challenge, and we enjoyed it greatly, and one thing that happened that we want to tell you a story about. We became acquainted while we were there in London with a remarkable man. And I'm going to call him by his real name now because he's passed on. And we've done some writing about him while he was still alive where we gave him a different name because we didn't know if we had his permission to talk about this story. But his name is Rhodes Boyson. Rhodes Perfect Rhodes name. Boyson. And his wife's name was Florette. Uh, yeah, Rhodes and Florette. So and British. He, he's a remarkable guy. He was a member of parliament, and he was Margaret Thatcher's minister of education. In, in U.S. terms, that would be like the secretary of education in the cabinet of Prime Minister Thatcher. So he was a remarkable guy. And we, we got to know him and became friends, and we started hanging out a little with he and his wife, Florette, and the conversation would occasionally turn towards spiritual things. And, and Rose, you got a picture, you've almost got to meet Rhodes to appreciate what an interesting character was, a deep, almost Cockney accent. Oh, no, very British. Well, very, very, very high. Not, well, yeah, I guess high, it was not high British, but it was, it was extreme. I mean, you, it, was, it was lamb chops, you know, that's the sideburns that come all the way down to your chin <laughs> and he just he was thoroughly british and he had and and when you're thoroughly british you don't go around talking about spiritual things very much it's not part of the british way but rhodes had some questions and he became a good friend and later by the way and this doesn't have to do with the actual story but we managed to have him come and do a devotional assembly at brigham young university and it was a great experience. He he spoke to an audience there of 20,000 people. And he's, he told me afterwards, I've done a lot of speaking, but I've never had an audience that big. Well, some of you in the audience will have been in that auditorium, you know, or in, this, in that stadium, you know how huge it is. And he was so blown away by the quality of the students there and all the experience that he had. And also Florette, they did a lot of things for him um, and with the state and so on, because he was, you don't often get a member of parliament to, uh, to Utah. But here's the story. He, he began through this association to ask us about our faith. And we could tell by his questions that he was genuinely curious and that he was deeply interested in knowing what it was that we believed and really why. I mean, it started off with him saying, you know, Richard, you're a management consultant, you're a Harvard Business School graduate, you had a career going in full steam. What in the world motivated you to take three years without any pay and, and, and come out here and be a volunteer, essentially, and do this work with, with your church? How really mystified him. And so we would try to tell him, and then he'd ask more questions and more questions and so on. And the bottom line that we're getting to, and we'll get into this in the second half of the show, is he, he said, look, 
I want you to tell me more about your faith. And I want you to do it in writing so that I can read it and think about it. And I want it to be personal. Uh, it's such an interesting request. And so I, I wrote him a series of letters, and we're going to share some of these with you. But he didn't like the first three letters we wrote very well. They didn't really get at what he was asking. And the bottom line is that the fourth letter that I wrote to him was 80 pages long, and it took me several days. And, when I, and it was hard work. And when we were done, I said to Linda, you know, we've got to do something more than just send this to one guy. Let's put it in a little book. And the name of it is The Wrappings and the Gifts, and we'll tell you in the second half of the show why we chose such a name for that book. But the point is, sometimes when you are trying to explain your personal beliefs, and we were talking a lot about family and about the importance of family and about why why children are the most important priorities in our lives. And when you're trying to put that in writing, don't you think, honey, it causes you to think it think it through very carefully, <coughs> very deeply, maybe more so than you would if, you know, you were just um, thinking about it in a, in a general way. And so when we come back after the break, we're going to share with you why we think faith has to be so inexorably connected to parenting and to families and how we tried to explain our personal faith to this very erudite British member of parliament and what his reaction was to it and how he talked about how it might affect his own family and his own marriage. So hang on with us for a minute and we'll be right back after this brief break and we'll talk a little further about the role faith plays in families and how we should try to understand the fact that our children are not really ours. They come from God. They come from a higher place. And they, to us, are our greatest stewardship. Right back after this break. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back talking about some interesting things that we haven't thought about for a long time. Some memories we have and a story. So as we said in the first half, we were trying to write letters to answer the questions that this astute member of parliament in England had. And we ended up putting it in a little book. And let's just read you the couple of paragraphs from the preface that will give you an idea of where we're going with this. We live in a world that seems to have more questions than answers, more seekers than finders. We yearn, perhaps more than any other people of, at any other time, for a clearer picture of who we are and how we fit into the universe. We've dr we're driven to improve ourselves not only physically and mentally, but spiritually. We sense that there is more to life and more to us than the humdrum routine and the social and economic competitions of the day today. So we flock to the high-held hope of self-help and kinds of improvement and things we can do with ourselves that will bring us to a higher level. But ultimately, self-help is an oxymoron. We feel the need for help from something other than ourselves, especially in our families and our parenting. 
we need guidance from something higher and more intelligent than we are. We, we're drawn to the spiritual, but not to the religious. So the other world glimpses or feelings we do discover are isolated, disconnected, incomplete, like single pieces of a puzzle. We long for continuity, for answers that ring true to our hearts as well as our minds, and for the interlocking pieces that can give us a full picture of where we came from, why we're here, and where we are going. So that was the vein we were, that was the tone we were trying to write in in replying to this letter. But I made a couple of mistakes. I'll tell you that here was the first letter I wrote to Rhodes. It, it, Rhodes. it essentially talked about the fruits of faith. And I was telling him about our youth programs and about our lay ministry and how everyone gets involved in our church and about our welfare program where we help people who are in need and provide ways that they can work and earn something. I told him about the health benefits of our church and that we have a, a, a kind of a record longevity and that we have lower degrees of illness in many areas because of the health standards we live by. I told him about our families and how, you know, we seem to be doing pretty well relative to the statistics in the world. And he wrote back, and he wasn't happy about it at all. He said, I, I, know the, I know all those things. Don't forget, I've been around you and your family. I've been around many members of your faith. And I, I see those, those fruits, if you will, of what you believe. But that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to tell me about your doctrine. I'm asking you to tell me what it is you believe. So I tried letter number two. I wrote back to him, and... It was a couple of pages this time. The first letter was one page. This one was two pages. And I essentially said, well, you know, what you need to understand is that um, in my mind, there are three kinds of Christians in the world, speaking sort of technically. There are Catholics who believe that Christ's church was established while he was here, and it's gone on to this day. And then there are Protestants who believe in a Reformation, where things needed to be reformed and and the the various Protestant churches came about. And then we're, we're a distinct third group who believe that once the doctrines of Christ were gone from the earth, it took more than a reformation. It took a restoration to bring them back. So I sent him off that letter, and he was not happy with that either. He wrote back and said, listen, could you... Could you I, I know that stuff. I know that you believe there was a restoration. I know you believe that that the church of Jesus was put back on the earth. But I want to know what it believed. I want to know what it actually taught. And so I wrote him a third letter where basically I was saying, just consider some possibilities, Rhodes. Consider some possibilities. What if we actually each lived before this life? not inside of another person or as something else, not reincarnation. But what if we actually lived before this life in a different place? And what if our children who come to us are not just, they don't just begin at birth or at conception, they came from somewhere else. And what if, Rhodes, the fatherhood of God is more than a metaphor? What if we're actually his spiritual children? What if it's not just a higher intelligence that, the majority of us believe in something, what if he's actually a father? 
And what if this earth was actually designed and created for us? What if, what if there's a reason for it? What if there's a purpose for why we're here? And what if we are spirits within bodies? What if there's something more to us than this physical self? And what if, Rose, the relationships that we gain on this earth, especially with our families, our children, and our parents, and so on, what if they go on after this life? What if there is another place? And what if the relationships we form here carry on? So so what did he say to that? Well, so I put it all in the form of questions, right? right. I wasn't trying to put him off or anything. And I and can't he, remember after all well, those and tries. The, and then he wrote back, and it was really interesting what he said. And you can read this little part of his letter that came back to me, Linda. He said, now we're getting somewhere. You're finally understanding my question. I'm not asking about the practical results of of your church, letter number one. If I hadn't known about those, I'd not have been curious in the first place. And I'm not asking about the process by which the church was restored and established, letter number two. While the claim that God and angels revisited the earth is exciting and certainly intellectually challenging, it's not how the parcel is wrapped and delivered that interests me most. It's what's inside. What was restored? So then, then I really, really understood Rhodes' question. He was, he wanted, and, and I loved his metaphor, Linda. I, I loved this metaphor. He said, "Hey, I don't, I don't need you to tell me about angels or about, um, you know, visitations or about uh, supernatural things that happened." I, I, you know, the minute you. The minute you agree that there is some higher intelligence than ours, then of course there could be manifestations that are beyond our understanding and spiritual and miraculous and so on. But he said, that to me, that's the wrappings. That's the bright colored paper and the bows and so on. I want to know what's inside the box. I want to know when you open those wrappings, what, what was actually brought back and what value is it to me? What, what came back? And so... I finally got it, and so the, this last long letter that I wrote to him, we actually had a name for it, The Wrappings and the Gifts. And that's where I thought it got interesting, and that's where it turned so much toward family things. So I said, Rhodes, I think there are about ten different gifts. There's about ten different things inside of that box that you're asking about. And number one is the knowledge that we lived before we came to this earth. And I was trying to be practical about all these things. I said, imagine the difference it would make in your, in your life if you, if you believed that. And I said, imagine two, parent, two sets of parents, and one set of parents believes that, you know, the, the child they have just delivered into the world is a genetic combination of their own bodies. They made that baby. They own that baby. It's theirs. And they treat that child as an extension of themselves, something they created. And then imagine another couple who believes that that child is an independent spirit that came from somewhere else. Imagine the difference in parenting. The The one family would sort of feel like they had license to try to make that child into whatever they wanted. The second one would say, I need to find out who this little spirit really is. 
who, what are his gifts? What are his talents? What are his aptitudes? How do I make him the best that he can be? So what a difference that would make to, to a set of parents. And then I said, gift number two, and ties in with number one, is a knowledge of the purpose of earth, that we're here to learn, we're here to grow. It's not just random. Things happen for a reason and so on. Gift number three was knowledge of the, the fact that after we leave this life, there's not just some heaven and hell. There's a continuing kind of progress and so on. And I knew Rhodes well enough to know that these things would appeal to him because he's such a thoughtful person. And I knew now that I was actually getting to his real question, which is, so what? What does it do to me? How, how does it affect me? You know, how does it change my life or my perspective? Yeah, I'm looking at this, and it says, one of the gifts is a more complete comprehension of Christ, of his roles and his relationship to us. And I think, I know people who are better Christians than I am. They get up every day thinking about Jesus and doing, they're so good and they're so great. But I think that what they don't know are some things that, that were restored about Christ and his roles and his relationship to us that I am so grateful for. Yeah, and, and, again, and again, everything, and that, that's one of the things I tried to express to Rhodes that, because Rhodes was a Christian, and we knew that, and so we weren't saying, you know, our faith believes in Christ and yours doesn't. What we were saying was, we're grateful because we think that that's where everything centers. That's where everything comes together. And I remember I told him the story, a little metaphor of someone trying to understand God and the gospel and the commandments and all the doctrines of, 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 of the church and how complicated that can be. And I used the metaphor of uh, a, a puzzle. You've got a puzzle. It's got a thousand pieces, and, and it's very complicated. It's some kind of a diagram or an engineering chart or something, and you can't put it together, but you discover that if you turn the, the, the pieces over, there's a picture of a man on the other side, and you put the man together, and then you understand, you flip it over and you understand all the complexity. And that that's how we view the church, that if you, if you focus on trying to understand Christ and Jesus and who he was and what his character was and, and you know, the being that he was, the perfected being, then you understand everything because it's all focused in him. And I knew that appealed to Rhodes. And then the, the, the rest of the gifts, Linda, that we tried to enumerate to him essentially centered around the sanctity of marriage and the, the importance of families and even the importance of extended families. You know, I, I knew that he knew the scripture about turning the hearts of parents to children and of children to parents. And... I explained to him that we are really into finding our ancestors and that that's not just some academic exercise where you want to know where they lived and how they were born and so on. It, it's more than that. It's a linking. It links things together and it gives children a sense of belonging when they know who those ancestors were. And so I, I tried to explain that family to us 
is a, a big thing that goes on and on and that we're all basically brothers and sisters for the simple reason that we're all part of God's family. I wish we could talk to him now. I would, He's yeah. been gone for a lot of years. But amazing things have happened with this genealogy thing. Incredible. In fact, it's been the Roots Tech um, conference just downtown where we've spent some time this week, and it's amazing, absolutely incredible. The world is turning their hearts. Yeah, it really is. So, I wish we could share that with him uh, and his ancestors. And I wish we could share the whole book. We can in a way. Many of you listeners know there's a site called IrishFreeBooks.com, and you can go there and read read more of this book. But the message we wanted to leave today, and really the bottom line, Linda, when you think of it talking to Rhodes, was that we need something beyond ourselves to be good parents and to be good marriage partners. We need a spiritual dimension. And however you can find that in whatever faith you can generate it, it will help you to be a... a, You can turn to a higher source for help with your children and with your marriage. So we wish you the very best. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next time on Wires on the Road. See you then.